Dear Father God, we do acknowledge that all blessings do flow from you. We thank you that we can share a portion of these material blessings with others. Use them for the growing of your church and the spread of your kingdom. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please remain standing now as we read from God's word. Good morning. It's a delight to be with you again. I like you people. It's fun to be here. I'll be reading this morning from Matthew's Gospel in the 11th chapter. Familiar verses to you, at least uh, toward the end. I'll be reading from verses 25 to 30. Remember, this is the word of the Lord. Let us rejoice and, and be glad that we have the privilege to hear his word today. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for this one small portion upon which we find our focus today. Thank you, Father, that you who inspired these words to be written through your Holy Spirit would illuminate these words to our hearts and minds that we may better understand what it is that these words are here for and why are we here for to hear them today and act upon them in the days to come. Thank you, Father, that this is the truth the true truth, and we thank you that we can rest in that assured. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. No doubt you have uh, watched the debates or at least seen some of the sound bites of the 20-some candidates who are offering themselves for the highest office in the land, the President of the United States. They are there in these sound bites and debates and whatever other occasions uh, in these primaries to tell us about their qualifications to be the President of the United States. They are there to tell us of their promises if they are to be elected to this office. Isn't it refreshing today that we can take a break from that, as skeptical as we are about some of those promises and qualifications, but they are just men and women with feet of clay, as are we. And it is a part of our American process, indeed, uh, that we are privileged to take part. But to have one who stands before us today, not me, Jesus Christ, in whom we have total confidence when he speaks because of his qualifications 
that are impeccable and unquestionable because of his promises that have been kept minutely to the T, each and every one except those that are yet to be fulfilled in the time to come. These candidates tell us uh, in so many words, and I'm not sure I've heard any one of them specifically say, rest assured, I'm qualified, rest assured, uh, this promise will be kept, some of which uh, they even promise from the first day they're in office, the first phone call they're going to make, the first thing they're going to reverse of Obama's and so on and so forth. But Jesus, when he stands before you and when his word is before us, we can rest assured that he's well qualified to speak and to represent the truth that he does because he is the truth and to know that he makes these promises and we can rest assured that these promises you can take to the bank with you. So let's see what he has to say and uh, let me tee this up for you a little bit as it begins in verse 25 by saying, at that time, and when I look at a passage like this, uh, I always... uh, am lazy enough to want to just keep on moving, but especially when I preach, I can't afford to be lazy. And I wonder, what, what is the time? What, what is this speaking of, this time? And Luke does a better job for us than Luke does in setting the time. And there are several things I want to point out to you, but in Luke chapter 10, uh, we have the parallel passage up to a point, and I'll show you where that point uh, begins and ends. Uh, But uh, basically, Jesus sends out the 70 on a mission, two by two. And he gives them instructions as to what they're to do, what they're to take with them, what they're to say, how they're to respond uh, to the positive and negative responses of the people to whom they speak. And they come back then very enthusiastic uh, with their report of what took place. Uh, they've been sent out to do ministry as you and I have been sent out to do ministry. And, and they did it maybe with a little fear and trembling like we all do. But uh, when they saw that God was working in and through them, they were quite excited about that. And they came back to tell the master exactly what had taken place. And so that's the time exactly where uh, this passage takes place that uh, Matthew doesn't provide for us. There are some other things about the time that uh, we should know as we look at this passage as well to better understand it. Uh, One of those things uh, with regard to the time uh, is is the fact that uh, in that day, as we read through the gospel and we see the progression of the gospel, we see increasing opposition to Jesus and more rejection of Jesus in terms of uh, people not believing who he was and not believing in what he said. So that's another factor that's present in this time. And then the last factor that I'll point out to you is that uh, there were people in that day, uh, not unlike today at all, who were kind of smarty pants spiritually. Uh, They really removed themselves from God, and they were independent from God. Uh, They were wise. They were understanding people. Uh, They were people of intellect. Uh, But they they removed themselves from under God's authority uh, in any way, under God's submission. And that was taking place as well. So with that as some background, uh, that's the time at which uh, Jesus is uh, speaking. And he declares, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things. And that's another place I need to stop. What are these things we should ask ourselves? And again, as we look at the progression of the gospel and we we see what's been taking place, these things, I think, very specifically refer to uh, salvation, the gospel, uh, by grace, through faith. That's primarily what's uh, at the center of these things of which Jesus speaks. And he says, you have hidden these things, the gospel, uh, salvation by grace through faith. You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. In some translations, it even says babes. So that's an interesting thing that God would hide some things from some people and reveal them unto others. Uh, first, we need to note that he certainly hasn't hidden from all wise and understanding people these things. The salvation that comes to us by grace through faith, the gospel itself. Uh, and, and at the same time, he hasn't given uh, this revelation to all the little children of this world either. But generally speaking, what's in view here and what Jesus has to say is that, generally speaking, there are those people who are independent of God in their thinking. Uh, They are worldly wise, and their understanding is devoid of how their understanding relates to God. And those are the people that are not finding the things of God revealed to them. And generally speaking... Uh, little children, people who are dependent upon God, who realize they are helpless apart from God, who are humble people, those are the people to whom God reveals these things. So that's generally speaking what's in mind here. It's interesting that it really isn't much different today, is it, in 2015? Uh, there are the wise and understanding people, pridefully conceited in their beliefs, uh, who are pretty much separated from any submission or dependence upon God. And God just doesn't seem to reveal these things to those people. My wife did a master's degree at Emory University at the Candler School of Theology. And she realized as she went into this when we were pastoring, I was pastoring there in Atlanta, that this was a liberal school and that her faith, she thought, would stand up under the teaching of some of the liberal professors. But she was quite surprised to see as intelligent as these men and women were and are to this day. I mean, their IQs are off the charts. Their credentials are amazing in terms of the degrees that they have and the places from which they earned these degrees, the books they've written. But not to believe in the Bible as the Word of God not to believe in Jesus as the incarnate God, uh, not to believe in the gospel and the atonement of Jesus Christ, not to believe uh, that we're sinners needing to be saved, not to believe in the end times and, and in an afterlife. That was fairly common among them. And then to make my point that God hasn't hidden these things from all wise and understanding people, I had the privilege of going to Gordon Conwell, as did your previous pastor, Mike Malone, uh, and some others, like Tim Keller uh, and others. And uh, I sat at the feet of some very learned men and and a few women who taught and was amazed at their intellect. And yet, these were people who were dependent upon God. They were humble. 
and they recognized the verities of our faith, and they upheld those things. I told you the last time I was here that I have a friend that I love very much. His name is Will, and I told you then, and I'll tell you again, that he wouldn't mind my using his name. He's just that open and honest about things. And I had another two-hour session with him Thursday. Uh, We talked mostly about spiritual matters, which was at his invitation to do, and we've done it before. The last time was three hours. And I know I may not be the sharpest pencil in the box theologically, but I thought, uh, to God's glory, I, I did my best to present him with the gospel once again, maybe with a few different twists and turns, a few different words, a few different illustrations, and to uh, Will's own admission, he's an attorney, he's a wise and he's an understanding man. He just tells me what I have to say to him falls on deaf ears and a hardened heart. And it makes me want to weep and it makes me want to grab him and just shake him. Except I love him and except I think God may yet one day reveal the things that are hidden to him at this point. On the other hand, I think of a woman that... Uh, Doug and Susan and Alice would remember from Westminster Church in Atlanta. Her name was Julia Parker. And Julia, talk about a person that had some mental deficiencies. Uh, She probably was more mentally deficient than anybody in our church. One, a very attractive person. uh, Lived across from the church. When the mailman came, she'd call and let the secretary know the mail was there. If anybody strange was walking on the property, uh, she'd let us know. But more importantly, if you wanted to know what the scriptures had to say, you went to Julia. She was sharp. She knew her scriptures and she knew her Jesus. And here's a person that you wouldn't think would have the capacity to embrace those truths. And then you look at Will and here's a person that has the capacity and doesn't. And God just hides some things from some people and he reveals them unto others. And if you're looking for the best answer that there is as to why he does that, look at verse 26. It's because of his gracious will. And you could bring uh, Tim Keller here. You could bring Mark Potato back and ask him next time he comes to preach to you. Uh, you could bring Mike Malone back, who's no slouch, and ask him what the answer is as to why God hides things from some people and reveals them to others. And they will not have a better answer than John Montgomery. That's, that's the one theological thing <laughs> that I, I'm on equal ground with, with R.C. Sproul, with, with whoever. It just is God's gracious will and it gives him good pleasure to do it. And if you've got a problem with that, uh, then you need to talk to God about that. But that's, that's the answer. Now, let's look at uh, verse 27. And Jesus uh, says in verse 27... All things, he doesn't say some things, he says all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And most of the commentators believe that that was at the incarnation when Jesus uh, came here, uh, God in the person of Jesus Christ, and and all things were handed over to him. Uh, Let me go back to to our friend Daniel in the Older Testament and uh, show you what Daniel has to say as a prediction or a forecast or a prophecy about the one who was to come, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He sees in the night visions, he says in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, 
I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So this is Jesus coming uh, to the Father. And to him, the one who came to the Father, the ancient of days, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Rest assured. Now, uh, in the end of this gospel in Matthew, Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. That's a pretty serious claim, but that's a part of his qualifications. He has all the dominion, all the authority on this earth, and it's been handed to him by his father. That's what makes him king. That's why you're called Christ the king. And he is king, rest assured. And it's a wonderful thing indeed. So now we go on to see what else he has to say. Kind of interesting here. No one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son. And it's a good thing it doesn't end there, isn't it? Because nobody would know the son or the father. But it says, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Anyone that the Son chooses to reveal the Father. So the Father knows the Son, the Son knows the Father, and those to whom Jesus has revealed the Father, we know both the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so there's a lot of verses that are wonderful that we should look at. First of all, here we have Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. And he says, no one comes to the Father but my, by me. And when I tell that to Will, he says, I just can't buy that. There's a, a lot of roads to heaven, a lot of roads to God. They all lead to God. No, they don't. And then I tell him Acts 4, 12. There's no, one, no other name in heaven and on earth by which man may be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Just can't buy that, John. Ugh. Not yet, because it's been hidden from him. It hasn't been revealed to him yet. That's the only answer. It's been re- revealed to, to Julia Parker. And she's no match for Will as far as wisdom and understanding in terms of worldliness, but more in terms of spiritual things. And she's with the Lord now. I'll tell you a cute little story about her. She wanted to live in three centuries. She was born by, I think, 1898 or 9, something like that. And uh, she was uh, doing pretty well, pushing her 90s pretty strong. And uh, things were becoming in her home such that uh, I talked to her family, um, and we just felt like that uh, it was time for her to, to go to a retirement home. Uh, none of us want to do that. I don't want to do that, and I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> I don't care if your elders come and drag me there. I'm not going. But we felt she should. And uh, so um, she was uh, sent down to Quitman, Georgia, to a a Presbyterian retirement home. And I remember the Sunday in December when we announced that she'd be leaving. And I really felt a big part of our church was going to be missing and and leaving us. And and I said, but God doesn't make mistakes. And Julia stood up and said, but men do. Uh, (laughs) Uh, that was our parting shot at me. Uh, but uh, 
and she she didn't make it on this earth uh, into this millennium, uh, but she is living forever with her Jesus. Um, but a cute little lady indeed. Uh, some other verses. Let me go to John six thirty five, if I I may, and come with me if you will. Uh, just listen to some of these things, and I'm going to make a point here. Uh, Jesus says in six thirty five of John. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, and he's going to ask us to come to him in just a moment, uh, shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe, he says to the Jewish audience to whom he's speaking. And then he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. How about that? I mean, the Father hasn't given anybody to Jesus that didn't come to him, and we'll talk about that more in a second. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So if there's somebody here today who's thinking about coming to Jesus and wondering if Jesus is willing to receive you, don't wonder any longer. He says, I won't cast you out. Come to me, dependent upon me, submissive to me, in love with me, believing in what I've done for you. For I have come down from heaven uh, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that thou hast given me, but raise him up on the last day. This is the will of my Father, and everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him. All right, if you're looking to the Son today and for the first time, if you're looking to the Son and you've been looking to the Son for a long time, and you believe in him, you should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And we could go to John 10 uh, where he says that uh, no one uh, that the Father's given me uh, will be snatched out of my hands. There were uh, some critical fumbles yesterday in football. The Father's given those of you who believe in Jesus to Jesus, and Jesus has never once fumbled. He's got you in his grasp, and he'll never let you go. And when we look at these verses, um, I'm inclined to see the five works of grace, sometimes known as the five points of Calvinism, um, sometimes known as tulip, if you've heard that before. The T is we're totally depraved. Uh, No one comes to the Father except by me. So no one's ever come to the Father on their own accord, on their own merits. Uh, No one's ever deserved to come to the Father and been able to beat themselves on their breast or pat themselves on the back and say, Father, here I am, you lucky God. I'm ready to be yours. That that doesn't happen. Um, C.S. Lewis said it's like a a mouse looking for a cat. It it doesn't happen. All right, the next is unconditional election. God chooses us, unconditioned upon what we've done or who we are. It's not on the basis of our looks, thank God. Uh, It's not on the basis of how intelligent we are. It's not on the basis of how good a husband or wife we've been, how good a parent, how good a son or daughter, how good a citizen uh, we are. It just gives God good pleasure, according to his gracious will, to elect and choose some, unconditionally. So there's no conditions other than God's conditions. And then we come to this whole business of uh, limited atonement. Christ didn't die for everybody. If he did, everybody would be saved. Or, he, or his death was powerless. And, and certainly you wouldn't agree that everybody, you would agree that everybody was not saved. And so he died for those for whom he came to die. Those are the people that he's revealed 
his truth to him, to them, and those these removed the hidden things from them. And, and then we have irresistible grace. Uh, no one that, that Jesus goes after gets away, but they don't want to. Irresistibly, we're drawn to his grace. And last but not least, these verses speak of once saved, always saved. So if you come here today with some lack of assurance of your salvation, uh, he who saved you will keep you saved. If you're saying, well, you don't know what I thought yesterday, you don't know what I did this morning, you don't know what I did way back in college, uh, no, I don't, and I don't care, and he doesn't care. He's already forgiven you of that, and he's made you righteous in him, in Jesus Christ, and you're saved, and you're as saved today as the day that you first proclaimed your salvation in Jesus Christ. That's a blessing indeed. Rest assured. My friend Will just hasn't had this revealed to him yet. I, I was in um, Willow Creek in uh, Barrington, Illinois, and I think the world of Bill Hybels. He's a great, great church leader. He's got a marvelous gift, gift of teaching, a marvelous gift of evangelism, and a heart for evangelism, uh, and he's a tremendous leader. And I'd like to be more like him than I am. And God keeps saying, you're just fine like you are. Um, except for a few things he's trying to tweak in me. <laughs> and I saw Heibel stand up there one day. And I'm not trying to put him down when I say this. I'm trying to make a theological point. I saw him with real sincere tears. Uh, not put on pastor tears. And, and talking about evangelism and our responsibility to evangelize the wills of this earth. And he said, think of all the people who have died and gone to hell because we didn't witness to them. Well, what does that say about a sovereign God? That God is, and he said, God is weeping over those people. Well, God's, God doesn't desire that any should perish. And he's got reasons why some do and some don't that are basically good unto him. But God's in control. And what I'm saying is will's not my responsibility. He, he's, I'm not responsible for his salvation. God is. And, and that relieves me a lot. Uh, it doesn't relieve me from my responsibility to share my faith with him and to witness to him and to, and to live a, a life in front of him that's consistent with, with what I say. Uh, but um, it's, just, it's just not my responsibility. It's God's. And I told Will, I said, if you die before I do, I'm going to be at your funeral and I'm going to be crying. And, and I want you to be going where I believe I'm going. And if I die for you, I want you to be crying for me. But uh, I want you to be thinking about these things. So let's go on to see what is not included in, in Luke's uh, uh, gospel that is included here, uniquely to Matthew. And this this business of come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I can't imagine, again, if I may refer to uh, Susan and Alice and Doug, Westminster Church. Behind me, a window that was probably 20 feet in diameter of colored glass, and Jesus Christ with his arms outstretched and around the perimeter of this beautiful window says, Come unto me, all you that labor and I will give you rest. Uh, a picture will never leave my mind, and if that's uh, against the image that we read about in uh, the Ten Commandments this morning, then uh, I'm not going to go destroy it. Maybe you can. 
but uh, it's, it's a precious uh, reminder to me of this beautiful verse. And uh, Jesus extends this invitation, and he says, All who labor and are heavy laden. I'm afraid that this verse is misused uh, and, and preached on incorrectly and appropriately most often uh, in terms of the application given by some, and God knows I've probably done it too, uh, you labor, maybe it's done at Labor Day. You who labor, heavy laden, got burdens, we all do. But that's really not what this is talking about. There are other verses that are good to preach on for those kinds of things. And in a general way, I don't think it's some horrible thing to, to use these verses for that. But primarily, uh, look with me in Matthew 23, uh, verses uh, 3 and 4. It talks about the scribes and Pharisees in verse 2. Uh, and, and they practice and observe whatever they tell you, but they do not, uh, for they preach, uh, but do not practice. You wonder where uh, practice what you preach comes from? Right there. Uh, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders. And it goes on to talk about uh, the Pharisees and the scribes. They're not just content with the scriptures, but they've got to add rules and regulations and rituals on top of things that are to be understood and received and lived out by grace. And, and made this whole religiosity thing a burden to the people and, and a labor to the people to strain under to try to, to, to please God. And there's even this idea of the, the yoke of the law. We read from the law today. The law is a good thing. But you know what? No one's ever kept the law. You go home, try to keep those Ten Commandments, and you're going to be burdened and labored because you can't do it. There's only one who's ever kept the law, and that's Jesus Christ. And here we have the law that can be burdensome, a yoke of slavery. It it can be a yoke of sin uh, in in our lives. But all the law was given for, in in one of the, the senses, was to lead us to Jesus Christ. I can't do it. How can, how can I possibly be saved? How can I be forgiven for falling short? And that's why one of the reasons why the law was given. And so uh, Jesus says, I will give you rest. Another uh, word for rest that might be helpful is relief. I'll give you relief. Wouldn't you like to be relieved of the weight? Will, will isn't it hard for you to keep these even you've got standards that may not be consistent with the scriptures, but in some ways they probably are consistent with the Ten Commandments. Most every situation in, in society has had something like the Ten Commandments. And isn't it burdensome for you to try to keep those? Because you don't do it and you don't pull it off well, do you? And isn't that, a, and, and his answer is no, not so much. <laughs> Hadn't been revealed to him yet, but, but yet, okay. And, and so here we have, uh, this uh, whole business of rest. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. There's a, a Jewish tradition and legend that Jesus made the best yoke in all of Galilee. The people flocked to his carpentry shop. Uh, for him, and they brought their oxen, or they took him to their farm uh, for him to fit their oxen and, and to make as a carpenter a yoke for these. Uh, that's appealing to me, and that's believable to me. That's not scripture. Uh, but that certainly is something that I think is very possible. Uh, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. If we don't take anything away from what we might learn from Jesus this morning, uh, I'm going to give you two things. One is gentleness 
and one is lowliness of heart or humility, I'll say. Try to be a more gentle and humble husband, wife, son, daughter, parent, boss, fellow worker, fellow neighbor. Just work on that. Be gentle. I, I, I can be hard. I'm a recovering Pharisee. Uh, I, I can, I can uh, be something other than humble. And, and when I'm humble, I, I don't think that's going to work for Trump. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it would work for him in God's eyes. It probably won't fit his personality. Uh, but uh, isn't that what's lacking that we see? Uh, wouldn't we love to see some humility? Uh, wouldn't we love to see some gentleness? Uh, it's, well, I'm preaching uh, politics now. Um, as much as I agree with some of his other points. Um, Philippians 2. You know, God became man. He humbled himself. And he became like one of us. That at the, knee of Jesus, every, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You'll find rest for your soul. If you, if you go the gentle route, you go the humble route, your soul's going to rest. And, and in the midst of cancer, spouses that have died, uh, problems at work, problems of all kinds, aches and pains, uh, th- those don't go away. But you can have rest for your soul in the midst of those things. My yoke is easy. Uh, the word is krestos in the Greek, and it means well-fitting. Uh, he's got a yoke that, that is well-fitting for you and for me. And he knows you better than anybody knows you. And he's made a yoke just for you. It's easy. And his burden is light. It's not he- if, if you're going through life heavy and you're going through life difficult, I'm not talking about that we don't have circumstances that make life difficult and heavy. But if, if your spirit, if your soul isn't at rest, uh, then you're not wearing his yoke. And you're not plowing ahead the way you should in Christ. And so we have this uh, Jesus Christ. Um, he's not hiding anything from you if you believe in him. He's revealed his son to you. He is king. He's not running to be your king. He is your king. And you need to be running to be his servant and running in a way that's easy and light and fun and joyful and a delight to be his. Rest assured. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word.